Welcome back to the Sporting Around the World podcast, episode 41, Sports in Oman. My name is Bobby, and joining me as always is David. So the last time we covered a country from the Middle East, it was way back with one of our first episodes when we covered Jordan. I'd say that Oman is in a similar place that people have heard of it, but it's probably the extent of their knowledge. Is that ringing true for you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a country that, like, I've never heard of this country ever before, but I don't, I know very little. In fact, uh, this is coming later, but you have the map pulled up. And I would not, if you were like, hey, tell me where this country is. I would not have put it there. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It should, should be a good learning experience for me, at least. I mean, it was for me, too. And I, I can say that about every country. But there, there's some, like, you know what to expect. This one is more in the middle, like, I know the name, and that's about it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like always, those listening at home, we're going to cover some of the background on the country. Because what's the point of knowing the sports of Oman if you don't know where it is, who lives there? So... As we said, it is in the Middle East, and specifically, it's on the southeast tip of the Arabian Peninsula. So Yemen are the neighbors to the southwest, Saudi Arabia is to the west, United Arab Emirates, or the UAE, is to the northwest. And then the rest of the country, it's got coastline. You got the Gulf of Oman in the north, Arabian Sea is to the east. So a lot of coastal boundaries there. Uh, But David, I got the map for you. Important thing with Oman is that they have an exclave. So part of Oman is separated from the rest of the country. It looks like it would be part of the United Arab Emirates, but it's called the Musandam Governorate. It's just disconnected from the rest of the country. It is on this peninsula that juts out into the Persian Gulf. Uh, Essentially, it creates a choke point. So any ship that's trying to leave the Persian Gulf now has to pass around this peninsula that Oman owns. You can imagine that that's important. Yeah, if I was playing Civilization on the world map, I would be trying to build a city right on that dot, get control of those waterways, and uh, (laughs) make it it at least tough for other people to, you know, send stuff around the world. Um, Yeah, I imagine it is a very strong, I guess, from a military standpoint, a very important asset, but also from like a trade aspect, you know, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and think what's the major export around here is oil. So, so much of that is going through the Persian Gulf. Then it has to pass around this peninsula that, yeah, it's disconnected from the rest of Oman. And you can look at it there. I wouldn't have noticed it. Yeah, it's like a little tiny sliver. Yeah, and and very close to Qatar, which we covered not too long ago. I mean, you have the World Cup. (laughs) Yeah, so all in the same 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 backyard place and then right across the water there is iran so just to give you guys the picture of where oman is so move on to landscape climate that sort of thing i feel like you can guess what oman is like david um i imagine it's hot yeah and i would imagine it's probably dry (laughs) you remember how qatar had to move the world cup to the winter just because heat advisory in the summer there I mean, it's it's the Middle East, that, that peninsula, hot, dry. Yeah, not my cup of tea to live in, I'd say. I, You know, it'd be a big change from where we're from, where it's hot and humid. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, just going to Las Vegas, night and day, you stop sweating. But uh, maybe that's a bad sign if you're doing athletic activity. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Um. So, yeah, Oman, wide range of climates. Here we go from arid to semi-arid. But... uh. Anywhere you go in the country, hot, dry, 
there's a little bit of rain when you get to the southern coast near the border of Yemen, but uh, you can break down Oman like this. The middle part is just sparsely populated desert. The north and the south, you've got these mountain ranges. So along the north coast and the south coast near Yemen, these mountain ranges along the coast is where the people live. So a majority of the people, like 90%, I'd say, live in the north coast. So the capital city, Muscat, is there. Um, that's their largest city. And then in the south, that population center, is, the big city is Salala. I've got another map for you, David. Just shows the unique layout of the, the country. Just two little population centers and then nothing in the middle. I feel like with a lot of these desert countries, it's kind of you, you, you live where you can, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have guessed, you know, mountains and two ranges being separated by, a, you know, a, a pretty, pretty vast part that's just almost uninhabitable. But I guess, you know, also not too hard to imagine there. Right. And it's just weird because it's like a thousand kilometers. I did it on Google Maps driving from Muscat to Salala. It's a thousand kilometers. And if you give a little leeway on where the people live, still like an 800 kilometer gap. It was like a nine and a half hour drive to go from the two on Google. So might as well fly at that point, I guess. Don't want to drive through some vast swaths of desert. But with that said, Oman is kind of big. 309,000 square kilometers, comparable to New Mexico here in the US. And similar to New Mexico, just a lot of desert land and not a very large population. I'm going to let you guess it like usual, David, but uh, I'll give a hint. We'll start at 10 million, but how low do you want to go? I'll say, I'll split it. I'll say five. And you're pretty much spot on. It, it's tough because population estimates vary a lot. Oman has a very uh, rapidly growing population. So I saw as low as 4.5 million, as high as 6.5 Bottom line is that their population has doubled in the past 15 years. Jesus. That, I mean, I guess on the lower ends, it's not too hard to do, but that, I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah, they were under 3 million in 2010, and now they're probably at 5 million. Could be higher. It's hard to tell. But who are those people? A little over half would be Omani Arabs. We're not going to get any deeper with Omani Arabs than that. We'll just say half the population is Omani. But the rest, a lot of immigrants from Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Iran, mainly Pakistan and India. So you could just say so, uh, South Asia in general. Remember that for later. It's relevant. Uh, Arabic is the main language. English is spoken as well. And any of those South Asian people groups, they're going to have their own languages too. But David, do the quick history rundown. Are you ready for this? Yeah. T tell me everything about this country in less than a minute. Less than, uh, I don't know. Oman has a lot of complicated stuff, so I'm going to be jumping over details here. I mean, every country's got a complicated history in some way, but this one just seemed like a lot. So we'll start. An Omani state of some sort has been around since the 700s. I mean, a nice location for maritime trading back in the day. We'll skip ahead. The Portuguese were the ones who came in in the 1500s, not necessarily colonizing it, but took over a lot of the trade in those coastal cities. They were expelled from the country by the 1600s. And then Oman, they expand. They expand a bit north. They have parts of Iran. They go south. They go down the east coast of Africa, the Swahili coast specifically. 
uh, there are these islands off the coast of Tanzania known as Zanzibar. It's like a semi-autonomous state, you could say. That's a whole other issue. But Oman controlled Zanzibar. The Sultan of Oman literally just moved to Zanzibar for a while. Like, you could say that's where the power of Oman was. It was in Zanzibar, these islands off Africa and not in Asia. Which, by the way, a Sultan. Oman is an absolute monarchy, one of the few left in the world. And they've had the same family uh, dynasty since the 1700s. Now, moving forward in time, British influence. The British never colonized it technically, but they had so many treaties from the 1700s all the way up to the 1950s. Uh, just increasingly had more influence over the country. It even got to the point here. This is, this is interesting. 1920s, they had this treaty. The British had heavy influence over the coastal parts of Oman, while the interior part was more or less given a full autonomy. They're like, oh, there's nothing there. It's just desert. We just want to control the coast. So you think that's all fine. But then what do they discover in the desert? Oil. So now it's a problem. And there's a war. Like the coast and the main in the interior of Oman have like a war with the British kind of pulling the strings here. Uh, the United Nations got involved. I'm leaving out details here. But that happened. And then there was another war. The people in the interior, they had like a rebel group. They were mad at the Sultan of Oman. And eventually, the son of the Sultan leads a coup and overthrows his father. I think just banishes him from the country. So 1970, Sultan Qaboos is now in charge. He leads Oman to the modernization, like allows women to vote in like local elections for like councils and stuff. Abolished slavery, because I guess that was still legal. He did a lot of funding for sports. Oman's economy has been growing really quickly, getting not quite to the extent of Qatar and the like, but they're on their way. Unfortunately, he died in uh, 2020. But that that's Oman. That's where Oman is at now. Yeah, pretty busy. You know, I mean, even in that like quick, you know, description, there was a lot going on. And um, definitely find uh, <laughs> finding oil in your country. Definitely is going to bring someone coming, you know? There's always the jokes about, you know, like the country finding they have oil and America bringing freedom to that country. Um, so it's nice to know that we're not the, you know, we, I guess we're not the only ones who's done that, but at the same time, it feels real bad. Uh, but it seems like they're on the up and up now and they've gotten things figured out. And I mean, abolishing slavery is pretty cool, you know, giving women the right to vote. Pretty, I, you know, I'm a big fan of this Sultan Caboose guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And for our purposes, did a lot for uh, this funding of sports, I guess. I feel like he was a liked, a well-liked person in the country. That's just an outsider's perspective. But yeah, uh, that's where Oman is at. And we'll move into the sports now. And a good place to start is sand. Sports on sand. We've done this enough. We've done enough countries. We're covering sports and geography. And the thing that you always see is how does the climate and the topography affect the sports they play? Austria. They got the Alps, so they're really good at skiing. Obviously, places in the tropics not going to be big into the winter sports, whereas the further north or south you go, they're going to be into that sort of thing. Well, in Oman's case, they've adapted a lot of conventional sports to their most common landscape, and that's sand. So sandboarding, we'll start there. So you can board on snow, water, volcanic ash. If you remember the Nicaragua episode, they did that. 
But uh, sandboarding, pretty self-explanatory. They have the Wahiba Sands. It's in like the north part of the country. It seems it's a popular sandboarding destination. Get these really nice dunes. Yeah, it seems pretty pretty self-explanatory. You know, basically just snowboarding, just not on snow. Seems also really fun. But I I, I wonder, do boards like last not as long? You know, compared to snow. Like I imagine there's very little like damage on the boards. But you know, sand sand's pretty coarse. You know, and, and I guess you can have really like fine sand, like the sand they use on volleyball courts in the Olympics, where it's like very very fine. It doesn't even stick to your skin. It's, it's, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's like so powder. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe it's that kind of situation, but. I just think of like, you know, sandpaper, you know, oh, <laughs> slowly you're just out of a, out of a, out of a board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I didn't think about that because like the pictures that I've seen, it's just people going, you know, snowboarding, except it's on sand. I'd imagine it would hurt less than snowboarding. Cause like on ice, like just the packed snowy, icy stuff like that, that feels like a brick when you're going fast sand here. It's like, it looks looser. Yeah. I, I can't, I imagine, you know, falling off for both not ideal and doesn't feel good. But yeah, I don't know which one I'd rather pick because I, I, sand gets hot, too. You know, like what if it's like peak, you know, peak sunshine, and then you, gotta, you know, you walk up those hills. You can't. There's no ski lift. And yeah, yeah. Like the, the burning, like you fall over, and you're just covered in sand gets everywhere. I, yeah, I have questions. I have questions. Um, but hey, if, if sand boarding isn't your thing, I saw pictures where they were sledding instead just sit down go down the sand dunes it's nice yeah yeah just gotta walk back up that's the only bad thing about sledding you know just yeah <laughs> very little uh you know you gotta you gotta pay for your your experience and the hike you know the walk up the if you're a little kid so maybe someone will carry you but otherwise you know you're hiking all the way back up to go again i feel like yeah we need to get some lifts in the sand that's what i'm saying <laughs> uh, you know make it happen um uh but speaking of sand and some other surfaces there's the Oman International Rally. So this is a rally racing event. Rallying, you're in an automobile. It's typically you're going off-road. That's what I associate it with. But typically these events are going to be multiple stages. You have to cover a certain distance. Or they'll have like different rules for different stages of the event. But it's like a long journey through Oman. And uh, I think their event is three days long. I don't know if you're very familiar with rally racing, but with Oman and the sand, it makes sense that something like that would exist there. Yeah, I don't think I've I've watched some, not too much. Um, I I feel like that would be very enjoyable. I don't know, sand kind of unpredictable surface, you know, and could be fun. And I think like racing in general is, especially when it's non-standard, you know, like, I don't know, like a normal roads and uh, you know off off roading. I think it's very interesting. I'm not really a yeah. big fan of you know the big oval tracks that you have been <laughs> racing, but. I could get behind some some rally car racing. Yeah, yeah. Definitely better than just our standard NASCAR circuits. And I guess even Formula One where it's there's more turns. Yeah, but it's I didn't still... say that, but yeah, 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 yeah. Bobby said that. He's the one who hates NASCAR and Formula One. Hey, hey. I appreciate it, but don't expect me to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy who enjoys baseball. <laughs> Uh, it's getting better. There's a pitch clock now. You know, games don't last seven years anymore, you know? <laughs> um, but moving on to those standard ball sports, of course, Oman plays them on sand too. I mean, they have the traditional forms, but beach volleyball, that's an obvious one. Beach handball, less obvious. I didn't know this was a thing. Apparently, Oman have been in the world championship for that. 
we'll, we'll leave that one there. I want to talk about beach soccer. So Oman are actually pretty good at beach soccer. 2023 is going to be their fifth appearance at the Beach Soccer World Cup. They're routinely among the best in Asia, and in fact, were the 2015 champs of Asia for their first and only time. They defeated Japan on penalties after a 1-1 draw for the title. Uh, Japan, they're like the gold standard in Asia. And also, 1-1 is a very low-scoring game in beach soccer. But cool stuff for Oman. Yeah, beach soccer, they typically have less people playing, right? It's like smaller squads. Yeah, yeah, it's it's five and five. I've got the rules. I've looked it up. I've watched beach soccer this week, man. <laughs> I can do a little breakdown yeah, for you. Sure, sure, sure. So three periods of 12 minutes each. It's a smaller playing surface. The goal is slightly smaller, but not too much smaller than a standard soccer goal. And yeah, it's five on five. That includes the goalie. You have unlimited subs. The ball has less pressure in it, and it's more of an aerial game. Because you're playing on sand, and it's tough to kick the ball when it's on sand. There's not as much passing plays. It's flicking it up in the air, doing like overhead kicks, just moving the ball forward. And you can take shots. I saw, this was a a World Cup not long ago, a goalie for Senegal did a drop kick, or uh, I guess picked it up, dropped it on his foot, not like hitting the ground. But he just, he scored a goal. Like a legit, like a goal kick in regular soccer. He scores a goal. Pure, pure chaos, it sounds like, you know, and I, I imagine if it's, you know, much more aerial, you know, you, you get those those highlight plays all the time. You know, I yeah, imagine yeah. Your scoring opportunities are just always sick. You know, no little um, little little dribblers in. It's always, you know, something crazy, which is great. Yeah, it's very exciting. And you can score from about anywhere on the field, too. Uh, the, the thing that I saw in the highlights because me, I'm just thinking, always find that open pass. And there was like a two-on-one with the goalie. And the goalie was coming out to try to block the shot. And I was like, dude, pass the ball. You're going to have a wide open net. But no, he takes a shot there because taking a pass and then having a guy shoot it is riskier than just going for goal yourself in beach soccer because of the the nature of playing on sand. Yeah, I imagine, you know. It takes no time at all. I, I can't imagine they flatten it, but like, you know, you start the game, you know, you're putting decent sized divots into the, into the uh, surface, you know, it, it, everything just becomes another variable at that point. And, you know, beach soccer is the thing. I feel like, you know, like if we were able to pick up game, I imagine they're, they're just normal people. They'd be passes, but yeah, passing is harder, you know, now, now that I think about it. And obviously I'm not cut out for international play, but it seems like it'd be a, a pretty fun sport to, to watch. I don't know if I'd want to, you know, I don't know if I'd want to get in on it. I've never been really good with the feet, but, um, you know, I, I can appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, it's different. Like you, you understand it, but it's slightly different from what you know and faster paced, shorter games. I'm all for it. And Oman, they're all for it, but they're also for traditional soccer association football. If that's what you want to call it, we call it both here, but that's the most popular sport in the country. Big surprise. And it's also trending in the right direction. Uh, but we'll start with the domestic level first. The Oman Professional League, it's been around since the 70s. And a refreshing thing that I saw, six different league champions in the last eight seasons. Not something you see in a lot of leagues. Yeah, you, you love to see it. And frankly, when it's looking like there are two teams that kind of take the cake or there's been you know one dominant team and now there's like this new team and that's exciting, but they've also been dominant for like 10 years and it's you're really just seeing, you know, deja vu. It's really not anything too different. Yeah, uh, 
parody is by far, I think, the best thing when it comes to professional sports. Like if you can get different people winning, it, I feel like it's only better for the sport. If there's one thing that we do right here <laughs> is that typically teams don't win back to back to back. Yeah, yeah. I, I view the 3P as like the benchmark of dynasties in uh, football in Europe. And there's only been, I think, two three-peats in Oman's history. So there's never been that insanely long stretch where someone won five, six, seven, or what what was it in uh, Austria? Like Red Bull Salzburg won, I don't know, 10 straight and counting. Something filthy, yeah. A Bayern Munich just won, I think, their 11th straight Bundesliga title in Germany. Ooh. Ooh, yeah no boo <laughs> dortmund for bottling it i was watching them live <laughs> sorry <laughs> off topic soccer uh oman so the two most successful teams in their history are dofar and fanya with 11 and 9 league titles respectively but other teams to mention also wake strong team of recent years brought a lot of players to the omani national team but the one i want to highlight is Al Sieb. So they won the league title in 2022, as well as the Sultan Qaboos Cup, which is just the Oman Cup competition for the whole country. But they also won the AFC Cup. So not the Champions League for Asia. So they weren't champs at the club level in Asia. The AFC Cup is the second tier. So in a way, they won the treble, not the treble, but a treble. Yeah, they want a treble. So uh, typically a, the treble in association football, you win your country's league, you win your country's cup competition, and then you win the continental cup competition. This wasn't the highest continental level, but the second highest. So good for them. They're the only Omani team to win the AFC Cup before. And no one has ever participated in the Champions League from Oman, but Alcib might do that this coming year. Yeah, that's that's huge. And, you know, they're big, tough countries to go through. So it's not like, you know, you're playing and you're in the second cup and that means that you're bad. I feel like it's it's still a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, for Asia, the Champions League level is like the Saudi Arabian clubs. Like Ronaldo is now playing in the Saudi Arabian League. And then you got the Japanese and South Korean clubs. I guess some from Australia, too. But I think it's really Saudi Arabia and South Korea are the big two. <laughs> But hey, second tier, yeah, it's not bad. Like, uh, we covered Jordan. I think they had a club win this competition before. So it's still good competition. And with, let's say, at best, 6.5 million people. I mean, I feel like that's a huge accomplishment. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, especially compared to Japan, South Korea, Saudi Arabia. Dwarfed. Yeah. And I know China doesn't have the strongest league, but you think China's got a large population to pull from, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but moving on to international football now, I'll just say the women's national team doesn't technically exist yet. They have a, a futsal team, which is indoor soccer, if you're not familiar. They began playing 2022, but they don't have an official outdoor regular football team for their women's side. But the men's national team, I'll let you take a guess, David. Have they qualified for a World Cup? No, I'm going to say no. I feel like if you're that small you got to go through asia too who's not a dominant it's not like it's europe who has like you know how many people going to the world cup you know i'm gonna say no uh you would be correct but follow up asia cup have they qualified for that oh yes probably once yeah at least yeah actually 
fifth time will be 2023. Oh, nice. So this 2023 is going to be hosted by Qatar, and it's technically happening in the winter, so I guess it'll be the 2024, but it's branded as 2023. It's weird. It's Qatar, you're too, you're too hot. Yeah, frankly, you shouldn't be running, you know, having any tournaments anyway. You know, like even in like December, it was like 80 degrees. <laughs> and they were playing at night. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure if Oman was hosting, it would be a similar situation because it's right down the, the road there on the peninsula. But uh, Oman, five Asia Cup appearances, if you count this upcoming one. I think they've made it to the knockout stages once in that. Uh, but they've also won the Gulf Cup. That's just for teams on the Arabian Peninsula. And I don't think Saudi Arabia sends their best players to that. But I do want to mention those Asia Cup appearances have all come since 2004. So that's pretty recent. And Oman came really close, well, kind of close, to qualifying for the World Cup in 2022. They were one point behind Australia in their qualifying group. Had they finished ahead of Australia they would have had to play the United Arab Emirates. And then the winner of that would have advanced to the intercontinental playoff against Peru. So, I mean, Australia, that's the path that they took and they qualified and they made it to the round of 16. So Oman, maybe if things fell their way, that could have happened to them. Yeah, well, and then, you know, with it expanding, you have to imagine hope on the horizon. Like if, if you're that close, you're probably one of those teams, right? That are the next, what? Next 12, I guess. So for Asia, eight teams qualify automatically. And they would have, if they used the same format, they would have made it through. Huge, huge. The future is looking bright. I feel like once you get on that stage too, like that, that's when the ball really starts rolling, right? When, you know, the whole world's watching. That's, Mm. you know, I feel like there are people who here who don't watch football at all, but they'll watch the World Cup. Yeah. I mean, all the eyes are going to be on you. And uh, look, the World Cup qualifiers for 2026, like we said, they're expanding to 48 teams. Eight automatic bids for Asia plus one representative goes to like the intercontinental playoffs. I saw the format that Asia is using, and unless you're one of the top four teams, you're going through a gauntlet. <laughs> like they have so many additional rounds. Like, oh, you finished third in your group, you have to move on to another round and then like oh okay you're gonna move on again again there it's a lot and i think oman is in that boat because they're not an elite team but they're pushing for a potential qualification spot it's gonna be grueling (laughs) i'll say that yeah i feel like too if you can do it that might be what it takes like you're doubling your population you know like theoretically that's continuing like it's probably only happening more you know it's probably only getting more populated so you know you get these little kids watching the world cup at five six years old who knows what you can do yeah i mean it's it seems like it's only good things happening for oman in soccer it's biggest sport in the world could really put them on the map sporting wise but uh i do have a player to mention someone who head and shoulders stands about among the rest of omani soccer players ali alhabsi he's a goalkeeper had over 130 appearances for the national team, and he spent a decade playing professionally in England. He was actually the starting goalie for Wigan Athletic for three seasons when they were in the Premier League, and that was in the early 2010s. He's retired now as of like 2020, but I believe he's the only Omani player to play in the Premier League, and that's pretty huge. Yeah, I wonder uh, how much he's still involved in football and 
I, I imagine if he wants to coach, like he could definitely do it. You know, if you're if you're the guy who you know is out of your country who's played for you know the biggest league, the only one who's played for the biggest league. Like if you wanted to be a manager of some kind, I mean, you you probably have an easier road to it. You know? Yeah, I don't think goalies tend to be managers as often. Uh, it feels like the least common position, but I feel like a lot of goalies end up in either smaller coaching roles or like sporting director stuff mm. for a club, like pulling the strings on transfers and whatnot. Yeah, well, I feel like you 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 can definitely play for a long time as a keeper. Yeah. So you know maybe that you just have seen more of the industry play out and you know the deals happening and people going and coming could be interesting. If he was playing, then. He's probably near 40 or yeah, you know, I think probably, he's 41 yeah. at the moment. Yeah. So he's got time to think about it. Yeah. I mean, and not just a Premier League goalie. He was a starter. He was good enough to start in the biggest league in the world, albeit for one of the weaker teams in the league. But hey, you got your chance. You took it. It's cool to see. But let's move on to the other ball sports. Field hockey. It's popular in Oman probably a top 10 team in Asia, but they haven't played at a World Cup before. You got basketball, rugby union. They're both played, just not at the highest level. Uh, but the other big team sport to mention is cricket. Now, if you know anything about the sport of cricket, you've got these 12 test cricket nations. They're, they're the top tier. And then everyone else is below them. Oman is probably 15 to 20th in the world, I'd say. They play in a lot of the qualifiers for big tournaments, and they have managed to qualify for the 2016 and 2021 editions of the T20 World Cup. Uh, we've talked about T20 cricket a lot on this podcast now, right, David? Yeah, it seems to be kind of taking the world by storm. You know, people here watch T20 cricket like regularly. You know, I don't think you're going to find many people that are not from other countries watching test cricket matches, but T20 is big and uh, it's it's growing and definitely like one of the more exciting sports i think right now you know of the new ones that are emerging like probably the most exciting sport out there yeah i feel like f1 like formula one racing was taking america by storm and now uh, cricket that's probably the next one like the t20 version of cricket yeah yeah the, the more digestible uh yeah. <laughs> shorter format definitely is doing well here if you know if anything lets you know about the way americans are with their sports seeing all the recent changes to baseball should tell you enough about how long <laughs> The attention spans last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's taken off. I mean, the Indian Premier League is huge with cricket right now. Just the branding and everything. It, uh, Australia, they got the, I think it's the Big Bang League, uh, something like that. Oh, wasn't that sponsored by like KFC? It, it was one of those random things you wouldn't expect to see. The Big Bash League, is that what you're talking about? Big Bash League, that's what it was called. Uh, yeah, KFC. Yeah, KFC is their sponsor. Um, wow, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Big Bash. That, that even sounds very Australian, you know? <laughs> but so T20 cricket, as we said, it's the shorter, more digestible form of cricket. Oman, they've qualified for that uh, World Cup twice now. They were eliminated in the first round in both of those tournaments, but they won a match at each. And the 2016 one, they actually beat Ireland, who's a test cricket level nation. Now, the thing with cricket and Oman, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. They had those British ties for so long. But remember, the demographics from earlier, they have a large number of immigrants from Pakistan and India. They've moved to Oman. They're the ones that are spurring the growth of cricket and Oman. 
So David, I'm going to ask you this. How many players from the Oman national cricket team at those two World Cups were actually born in Oman? And oh, God. Yeah, 27 oh. different players across those two rosters All with right. some we carryovers. Said, but We said the population doubled in 2000, from 2010 to, to now, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a high chance that this is more than 20, <laughs> I feel like. Because if you're doubling population that fast, it's immigration. It's not, you know, you, you, it's not babies. I mean, it could be, but you're, you're, you're working hard if it is. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say, oh gosh, 20. I'm going to say 20. So like you're saying 20 were born outside of Oman. Yeah, yeah. So seven, I guess, would be the, the original answer to the question. So only one was born in Oman. I was going to say one, but I was like, let me give them some credit. Yeah. That's crazy. Sufyan Mahmood. Uh, he was on both rosters, so cool. There wasn't much holdover between the two. I don't know why. I mean, it's a five-year gap, but yeah, most were born in Pakistan and India. I don't know if there's any Bangladesh, but yeah, uh, just a lot of people who I guess became like naturalized citizens. I don't know what the yeah. rules are with cricket. But also, they co-hosted that 2021 World Cup with the United Arab Emirates. I think Muscat had a few games in the first round. But hey, cricket, it's on the rise. Maybe they'll push into the test status in the next 10 years or so. With such a large immigrant population from the big test cricket countries, it could happen. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you've got everything to do it. You know, it, with, you know, those big Im immigrant populations coming from places where the biggest sport is cricket, you know, it's not even close. If you want it, you can go get it. It looks yeah. like, I mean, honestly, it looks like, you know, the future looks pretty bright. Yeah, another thing with cricket, I believe their current national cricket stadium was built in 2012. I forget the name, but it's like a really nice new stadium. And that just shows the progress that the sport has made. Uh, also, the women's national team for cricket began playing official matches for T20 in uh, 2020. They existed before that, but I think now it's like official capacity and they've just been playing their neighbors. Cool stuff to see. Let's move on to traditional sports, uh, beginning with dhow racing. So what is a dhow? It's the traditional sailing vessel of the Arab world. I mean, it was used in like East Africa, South Asia too, but it's associated with the Arab world. It's a long, thin wooden boat, has a very large triangular shaped sail. Some boats have uh, two sails, like a smaller one in the back, but it looks like these sails are 20 to 40 feet long like they're these are some tall sails not really used for commercial purposes anymore they just kind of race them it seems like but dow racing very big in the united arab emirates uh they have this annual race called al Ghafal. but i mean races take place in any arab country and that includes oman yeah it looks almost like you know, I'm so used, to, I guess, to seeing the the sailboat racing that's like here or, you know, a big deal, you know, and every now and then it'll get televised. And it's like the ones where the whole boat can like shift, you know, <laughs> multiple feet on one side in the air, you know, super highly aerodynamics, you know, involved. This kind of looks like it's been taken, you know, it's cut out from like the past. They haven't changed our boats. And this is what they look like for racing in general. I think, it, you know, it takes a lot for me to, to be interested, but I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of pride in these races for people in these uh, Arab countries. Right, right. You're taking stuff from their their past. You're just reviving your culture, and it's kind of 
like it's preservation in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you said, the what we're used to seeing with in any sailboat racing, smaller aerodynamic stuff. This looks like a longboat canoe, and then you just attached the a massive sail, sail. <laughs> um, an absolute like a sail that is maybe twice the length. Uh, yeah of the boat. In height of mm-hmm. the of the actual boat it's on but yeah that's interesting i didn't even yeah i guess it makes sense water's there but i uh, wouldn't have guessed you know right <laughs> traditional sailing would be there yeah it seems like it's a big deal in a, a lot of especially specifically like the united arab emirates we'll get to that country just we were about oman today and another racing thing that is kind of popular in oman maybe bigger in the uae camel racing so similar vibes to horse racing but with camels, you know, camels aren't as big as racehorses. They don't go at the same speeds. They're slower. But to compensate, they go longer distances in their races. Now, what I wasn't aware of, you know, because camels not as big, you want the lightest jockey as possible. So a lot of times they would use children. I know in the UAE, they banned children being jockeys, like child labor laws and whatnot. And I guess also could be dangerous. but they use robot jockeys now for the most part. So you just have this little saddle with like a walkie talkie. And I don't know what they call the little whip thing to like hit the camel's butt, say like go faster. That's just like an automated, uh, like a, a stir. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. camel racing. Robotic jockeys. It'll be interesting to see. And I imagine it won't ever happen for our large horse racing events here, but I know there's a lot of stuff in that part of the world, you know, especially the UAE that I think I saw something that was like a horse racing track where like the horses are kind of strapped in like a roller coaster and like they run huh. on that. And it like, it it's supposed to help with being mistrained by jockeys, like, you know, taking the human, ele- the human element out of training. But yeah, that's interesting. I, I robot jockeys is crazy. So you basically have, you know, remote controlled camels is what we've done. Yeah, well, I saw some footage. Sometimes the camels don't run the correct way. Like I saw one just turn around. But they have the walkie-talkie on there, and it's like they're talking to their camel, and I guess they're used to hearing their trainer's voice, and then it's just they're cheering them on and like say, go, go, go. Like, I don't know how fast they can go. Maybe I think up to 40 miles an hour. Uh, I think it's still I read, pretty fast. It's still, but looking at it, it looks like they're going slow. <laughs> it's it's a more of a marathon it's not a sprint like you see in yeah the horse look, and not everything can be the fastest two minute sports okay that's already <laughs> been it's already been trademarked we can't do it um yeah i i bet that is fun to watch though i'm glad that children aren't doing it anymore because you know you could think oh maybe they're being treated well because they're probably on these camels that you know have high stakes on them but i mean most most i, I would guess probably not so that's it's good that that's changed mm. uh, another animal sport to bring up though probably the one most distinct to oman compared to the rest of the middle east bullfighting but not like the spanish bullfighting that you see with matadors and such uh, now this is two bulls repeatedly headbutting one another until one bull is either knocked down or retreats so it's also referred to as bull butting you know like headbutting uh but i got the picture for you david it's a little hard to see but the bulls have a rope around one of their legs to prevent them from running into the crowd. The fact that that had to is a thing has said so much about what's happened in the past, I feel. <laughs> but also, also, 
cows do this like normally? Like, is this like a thing that you know two two male cows kind of you know challenge each other? I'm assuming they're male 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 yeah. cows or bulls, I guess, challenge each other in like it, it, I, I guess you know I guess since they're a domesticated animal, you probably don't have more than one bull, you know, with a with a bunch of cows, and so you know maybe it's not an issue, but uh, that's crazy. Like, and I imagine like they can probably get gored, you know. I mean, I assume they still have. Maybe not sharp, you know, maybe dulled, but still still points on the horn. Yeah, and your head butting, so a lot of risk. Yeah. And especially, like, the eyes, too. Yeah, I know. I, I can't do anything with eye injuries, so you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I would enjoy this one as much. Yeah, I mean, any sport with animals is going to have some controversy, and when it's just two animals literally headbutting each other until one submits, yeah, you can see why maybe not the most uh, popular to all people. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like things like racing is is controversial. So you know, anytime it's like animal combat, you know, I there are people who think you know horse racing is cruel, and maybe it is. I don't know all the details about it, but you know, I imagine this is stirs the pot even more. Yeah, yeah. Well, so when you're thinking like cruelty and horse racing, I just thought of SpongeBob. Like it's a race, Gary. <laughs> just cheering on a, a snail who doesn't want to race, G- Gary. Uh. Yeah, that that's the traditional sports of Oman. Uh, before we wrap up with the Olympics and multi-sport events, there's one person I want to mention who I didn't know where to, to put anywhere else in our outline, but I wanted to mention him, Ahmad Al-Harti. He is an endurance driver. So this is racing a very long distance as fast as possible or racing for a set time like six hours or 12 hours even. And just seeing how much distance you can cover. So Alharti, two-time champ in the Pro-Am division for the GT World Challenge Europe Endurance Cup. And that's a mouthful, but a tour in Europe for endurance racing. I don't, we've never mentioned endurance racing before. It's another interesting thing that I just don't think about often. But then when you see it, it's like some people are sitting in cars for hours upon hours just driving really fast like a, a mental test yeah yeah i uh can't even imagine racing for that long uh you know I, being in a car that long normal you know not even like tra- pushing yourselves like just traveling is, is a lot you know so I, I imagine it's tough you know in both ways but definitely mentally yeah and a lot of times they'll have these teams and they're gonna switch out drivers during pit stops because like and at some point your body is just going to be like, I need a break. It's dangerous to go in a hundred plus miles an hour in a death machine. But still it's what, what is the famous one? Like the 24 hours of Le Mans. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually coming up in uh June 10th this year. So uh, yeah, like less than two weeks now, I would never watch it, but if that's something that interests you, endurance racing, go check it out. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be a little lower on the list for us to cover, uh, just because there's a lot of things we that are big. You know, they're huge that we haven't talked about that, you know, we still have so many questions about. But maybe we'll get to it eventually. Maybe next year. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to wrap up with the Olympics, though. David, have Oman won an Olympic medal? Oh, gosh. No, I'm going to say no. And you're correct. Unfortunately, correct. <laughs> And they've only been attending since 1984. And uh, given their climate, there's obviously not going to be any winter games in there. But they've had athletes in like running events, shooting sports, that sort of thing. 
but yet no metals just yet. Yeah, I imagine, you know, anytime you're cutting off half the games, even though the Summer Olympics is definitely like more events and more opportunities. Right. right. Um, it's going to be tough. Uh, I think what we need to do is pitch, you know, some kind of sandboarding at the Summer Olympics, you know, hey. and then and then winter Olympic athletes can also be Summer Olympic athletes. Just made me think of the uh, that old Disney Channel movie, Johnny Tsunami. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Surfer and snowboarding. Here we go. I was thinking of uh, SpongeBob where it's uh, life is as extreme as you want to make it. Like, they, you know. It was sandboarding. Yeah, it's sandboarding. That I, <laughs> we both played that game. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but back to Oman, there are some positives here. If you look at the Paralympics, Oman had their first ever medalist in that in 2020. That was Mohamed Al Masaiki, he won bronze in the men's shot put. And then if you look at the Asian games, like we mentioned the Asian games a few times before, out of the continental level multi-sport Olympic style events, the Asian games is probably the biggest deal out of those. That's like 4 billion people or something like that participate. Like there's a lot of people in Asia that you can pull from. And Mohamed Al Malki, he's the only Omani athlete to win gold at the Asian Games. He did so in the 400 meter run in 1990. And from what I can tell, he's the closest that they've had to winning an Olympic medal. He made it to the finals in the 400 meters at the 1988 Olympics. So he was, he finished eighth out of eight in that heat. But I mean, that's, you have to go through a lot of uh, qualifying heats at the Olympics to make it to the finals. So yeah, yeah, no, no slouch. Being the eighth fastest man, well, I guess it's the 400 meters, so maybe not that, but eighth fastest man at 400 meters, uh, no, nothing to hang your head about. You know, that's a huge accomplishment. There are people who dedicate their lives to going to the Olympics and never do. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you performing that well is, is huge and winning it and a medal at, you know, a gold at the Asia Games, huge too. Yeah, the, the odds are stacked against you. And you think 1980s, 1990s, I don't even know what Oman's population was like at that point. <laughs> but final thoughts on Oman, growing economy, growing population, a lot of things going in the right direction for them and a lot of investment into sports growth too. So I think they're trending closer to their neighbors like Saudi Arabia, Qatar, the UAE. Those are places that we're seeing trying to push for, hey, we're sports hotspots now literally <laughs> but i think oman is going to reach that level too hopefully we'll see them at the world cup in larger field it could happen and that will just further escalate that growth yeah i feel like growing any kind of sport is almost always like a domino effect getting to a world cup i mean that's like you know skipping a few and pushing a you know a big one down ahead of schedule like it, it it'll be tough you know they're definitely not going to be the ones who kind of immediately qualify you know running that gauntlet's going to be rough but i mean it could be huge for you know your world cup play you know you've already been kind of forged in fire and you already struggled yeah yeah play that uh the scrappy style and we'll watch watch them get put in like the us's group if they make it <laughs> <laughs> watch us like also you know beat everyone and then like lose to them and then it like puts us in a weird spot point wise yeah. uh that's 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 very on brand for us um i'm looking forward to it though huge opportunities I know like test cricket status has been kind of on pause for a while. Yeah. 
I think like last one was like 2000. Um, I think part of that is because not many countries want to become tests. They, they don't want to play test cricket. It's just multiple day format. You know, it's, it's kind of tough. We'll see if that's what they want, but an affiliate member is huge. You know, you're obviously good. You're not a, you're not a trash you're, cricket. You're team, part you know? of so, best of the rest. You're in that tier, which is fine. When you look at who's in, you know, that the number one kind of uh, that first category. I mean, it's it's no slouch to be, you know, on their heels. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, well, a lot of good things going on with Oman. Uh, we'll end it there, though. That is sports in Oman. David, you want to give us a hint for next week's episode? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll say it's a big event. And uh, we'll, we'll give you the sport. How about soccer? I think that should that should do it. You probably know exactly what it is based on timing, but that's fine because it's one of the most talked about events in sports right now. You know, it's uh, it's been a long time coming with the process and changes are happening. So it'll be a, a nice informative episode. Yeah. And if you're American who doesn't follow the sport, you might be a little bit confused. But yeah, we true. got you covered. <laughs> that's true. You're going to learn. You're going to learn today. You're going to learn today. <laughs> uh so the week after, we'll do another country profile, and we're going to Africa. Don't know if it's one that people have heard of, but it'll be interesting enough. It's in West Africa, so that narrows it down to like 20. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's always a fun learning experience. You learn about the country, learn about the sports, and I, I already know from what little I do know about this country that there's going to be some surprises, like bigger names than you'd expect i'd say yeah should be fun all episodes are fun though we put out episodes once a week um Mm -hmm. so you know tune in uh we'd love to keep your attention you know we have shown or in our show notes we have contact information send us a message tell us what you like what you don't like tell us where you want us to go next what sports you want us to cover Uh, if you like the podcast uh the best thing you can do is like share Tell your friends, force them to listen to it, you know, on a long car ride uh, <laughs> because you have the aux cord because you're driving, you know, that's uh, it is what it is. You know, you got to do what you got to do. But um, we'd really appreciate that. We're on all major podcasting platforms, even some you may not know of. So, yeah, just share us. Get us out there. We'll see you again next week. Thanks again for listening. Anything else, Bobby? No, that's it. Uh, I'll just say goodbye. Yeah, bye.